You're listening to BuddhistGeeks.com. April 30th, 2007. Episode 17, Gimbo Big Minds Gwyn. In this final segment with Gimbo Roshi, Gwyn Bell is guided through the Big Mind process. This final portion of the interview gives listeners a rare opportunity to listen to the Big Mind experience happen unscripted and raw. This is an intimate conversation and a glimpse into one geek's practice, beliefs, and experience. A note to listeners, this process that Gimpo Roshi led Gwyn through reflect her opinions, the opinions of the various parts of herself that Gimpo Roshi was trying to access, and in no way reflect the thoughts, feelings, and opinions of Buddhist geeks. This is part three of a three-part series. If you enjoy Buddhist Geeks podcasts, please consider supporting us through either a recurring monthly donation or a one-time donation in amount of your choice. To do so, please visit www.buddhistgeeks.com forward slash donate. We thank you for your support. I'd like to talk a little bit about the process and what actually happens. So when you go through the big mind process with people. Is there a big difference when you're doing it one-on-one and when you do it in a group of like 200 like you had in Holland? There is a difference. There is a difference. And they both have pros and cons. Uh, One-on-one, if somebody has a place that they're kind of stuck uh, or they've got some kind of psychological problem uh, due to some past decisions and some... Uh, understanding that they have or, or some kind of uh, belief system they're holding on to, one-on-one obviously is going to be easier to pick that up and to work with them than if 250 people in the room. However, even with 250, I will always stop and work with individuals on these places if they are willing to let me know, which most of the time they are, but not always, uh, where they're stuck. And what we find is it will have a positive effect on everybody in the room because they will see the process and they will unstick if they have similar places. Uh, So it it also works to do that with a large group. The positive thing about the large group that I love, and I love large groups, is the power in the room, the energy in the room, is absolutely nuclear. Uh, It's mind-blowing. And when everybody opens their eye and is able to stay in that transcendent space of non-seeking and non-grasping, big mind, big heart, uh, it is palatable in the room, and everyone is there, and it's it's like the deepest zazen of 200, 250 people, and we're not silent. But it is, it is amazing. It's an amazing experience. If you were going to lead me through the big mind process right now, how would you, how would you start that? Uh, well, let's do that. Okay, okay? great. And, and I'm not going to do the psychological part. Okay. okay? I'm just going to really go s- straight to the core. Cool. Okay? So I kind of had a warm-up would yesterday. Would you allow me... All right. Would you allow me to first speak to the self, please? The self. So you are. Okay. Who are you? And you're speaking with the self. All right. So, nice to meet you, self. Okay. Tell me about you as the self. 
Okay, I'm Gwen. I'm 25 years old. I live in Boulder, Colorado, and uh, recently moved here. I'm about five ten and a half, and have dark hair. I practice Buddhism, and I'm learning the way of the Bodhisattva. Very good. Okay. Now, as the self, are there certain things that you're more attached to than others? Yes, I would say that there are things I'm more attached to than others. For example, like, give me example. I'm attached to my physical body, and I'm attached to food and like the things that I need to nourish that body to keep it alive. I'm attached to my very ideas good. and my my concepts about life. Good. Now that that's very important. So you're attached to concepts that you have, ideas about life. Uh, what about beliefs? Yes, I'd say I'm attached to beliefs about the world, about my country, about my family, and the people around me, too. Right. Now, uh, you've been practicing Buddhism for a number of years now. Uh, what would you say about the understanding that um, Buddhism, or Zen in particular, is a difficult practice, uh, it takes a long time. There are no shortcuts. Uh, you have to go through hard times, and nobody's going to be able to save you from that. Uh, what would you say about that? I would say I believe that. I, I believe that uh, it's a, it can be a rocky path at times, and at other times the way can be very clear and seem unobstructed. So right. It can now, be both. Let me ask you, where would you be without that belief? Where would I be without the belief that it's difficult? Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps I'd be further along the path. Maybe I'd be um, maybe I'd be at the end of it if there is an end. <laughs> uh, well, I don't I don't know if I believe there's an end or no one way or the other if there's an end. But it just might be you might be further along. Hmm, definitely. I would agree with Without that. Without that thought, mm -hmm. that thought might be actually holding you back. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I, I realized that, that yesterday. But as self, mm -hmm. when you read the book. Yeah, as I was reading and as I was uh, speaking uh, aloud, these letting different parts of myself speak, I, I found that some some moments of clarity where I felt like, yeah, this doesn't have to be. I think Zen Buddhists really get caught up in this, like, oh, it has to be hard because if it isn't hard, then, then, I'm not a good enough Zen Buddhist, you know. Like, it, the self or I want to uh, be able to say, yeah, I I made it, you know, I I put in a lot of time, I put in all X number of hours on the cushion and. You know, it's it may may sound egotistical, but there it is. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I totally agree with you. I think that's very very uh, sharp that you see that. In fact, um, the more time we invest in our practice, and um, the more investment we have, uh, the more we're going to be attached to our investment. It's like putting more money into the bank. Uh, when it's a buck, it's not big attachment, 
Well, it's a million dollars. It's a huge attachment. <laughs> so true. So, all right. So, thank you for allowing me to speak to the self. You're now, if we're looking at, you're welcome too. Um, if we're looking at the triangle, I'm going to stay with the left-hand base of the triangle. So I'm going to give it another voice. So the self, I'd like to now speak to the dualistic self, or I'm going to call you the dualistic mind. Okay, Okay, sure. so I'm speaking to, you are? I am the dualistic mind, the dualistic self. Yeah, the dualistic mind or the dualistic self. Mm -hmm. um, so tell, tell me about you. Okay. How do you see things? So I was really happy in Japan because uh, in Japan things are black and white or right and wrong or yes and no. And I really liked uh, being in Japan because it was always very clear which direction I should go. So I see things as either, either or. And... Uh, tend to operate at extremes. Exactly. Very good. Uh, so when you see things as either or, so enlightened versus what? Enlightened versus normal dude, normal girl. Um, yeah. Uh, Non-enlightened. Buddha. Yeah, not enlightened, deluded. Buddha versus? Buddha versus... Uh, hmm... <laughs> I guess Buddha versus non-Buddha. Buddha versus yeah. un unenlightened. Ordinary sentient. Yeah, an ordinary being. Right. Uh, right versus wrong. Mm -hmm. Good versus bad. Right. That's yep. just the way you see things. Now, what would you think about someone who didn't think the way you think. In other words, they didn't believe in good, bad, right, wrong, enlightened, deluded, Buddha versus sentient being. What would you think about them as, a du as the dualistic mind? As a dualistic mind, I would think they were wrong. So I would just... Absolutely. Yeah, I would just discount what they had to say. Yeah, now what would you think as the dualistic mind about uh, the belief of that uh, this practice is hard, it's difficult, it's very arduous, uh, it takes a long time. Uh, somebody who might say, other than that, that it's sudden, it's immediate, uh, enlightenment is accessible at any moment, at any time, to anyone. Mm -hmm. What would you say about that as a dualist mind? As a dualistic mind, I would say that <clears throat> I can be one or I can be the other, but I can't be in the middle. I mean, I have to either be enlightened or not enlightened, and it has to either be hard or it has to be easy. Exactly. There's, there's no it's middle path. There's no middle way. There's no middle path. There's no Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Basically. So it's not really a Buddhist understanding if it's got to be one or the other. I would say you're probably if not speaking. Really. I would say you're not speaking to the Buddhist voice right now. No. Yeah, I'm not. Right, I'm speaking to the dualistic mind. Right. All right. Uh, thank you for sharing. Sure. Uh, if I would like now to move to the other side or other base of the triangle, and I'm going to give you a name. 
okay? And the name is no self or non-dual, non-dualistic. Okay, you're speaking to the non-dualistic self. All right, the non-dualistic self or the no self, okay? All right, so tell me about you. First of all, what you're not. Okay. Start with what you're not. I'm not extreme, and I'm not either or. I'm... That's right. I'm not afraid to uh, see how things blend. I'm not afraid to talk about how things can come together, uh, how things can operate in harmony with each other. Okay, now a word that you kept using is I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Hmm. Yeah. What's That's... that smile about? <laughs> That's true. I did say that. Yeah, there's no fear in uh, in in me in the non-dualistic voice, and I think I sense some fear. I think I sense some fear and defensiveness in the dualistic voice. The dualistic. That's self. right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, in the dualistic, there's fear. In you, there is no fear. Now, what else are you not as the no self? I'm not, um, I'm not either or, I'm not this or that, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I don't have a problem with taking all perspectives, I don't have a problem with um, seeing how things uh, communicate with each other and are in communion with each other. I don't. I don't struggle with with anything really because there is no because there are no poles in me. Um, there's no place of um, of dissent or disharmony. There's no discord in me. How's that feel? Right yeah, now. it's a. Uh, it's a, uh, it feels very freeing. It feels very, um, mm, harmonious. Liberating? Very liberating. Harmonious. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Now, would you say, if you look at the self or the dualistic mind from your perspective, what would you have to say about the self and the dualistic mind? For both the self and the dualistic mind, I would say they're a part of the picture, but they aren't the whole picture. They are, uh, I include them both in, in, inside of me. Uh, I, I uh, can embrace them both because I don't see them as outside of me, I see them as within me, as the du- the non-dualistic self. That's right. Very good. Now, another name for you is Big Mind. Uh, so let me speak to Big Mind. It's just another name for you. Okay. You are? I am Big Mind. All right. So, I would like you to look and see just how big you are. Okay. So how big would you say? Do you have any limits? I have no limits. I'm, um, 
everywhere and I'm, I include everything. Uh, I'm beyond words. In, in fact, yeah. very good. In fact, what are all things to you? All things are me. <laughs> all things are both me and beyond me. I, it's as though energy or prana, the life force, just flows through me as though as though it was just light passing through a, a sheet or less than a sheet. Very good. What's this like as Big Mind? It's kind of mind blowing. <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's borderless and it's there are no boundaries, so it it's very spacious. You know, it's a feeling of spaciousness. Uh, I'd like to ask you now. There has been criticism from your perspective. You see, there's been some criticism about Big Mind and how you know, it works very suddenly and so forth. Uh, what would you say right now as Big Mind to all this? I would say I accept the criticism as much as I accept the praise. Um, you know, I have a feeling of openness to it uh, because I know that one th everything is dependent on everything else so it's you know um, coming to a state of balance or a state of uh, equilibrium uh, it takes both voices it takes both the, the negative and the positive or, or there is no negative and positive they all just you know, uh, it's kind of the yin and yang of how the world works. <laughs> you just described codependent origination. <laughs> now, do you see that all the wisdom of the ages is accessible to Gwen at any time just by making that shift that we did into the big mind, no self, non-dual? Totally. Yeah, I think not not only, I mean, speaking from Gwen's point of, point of view now, um, <clears throat> not only is it an important practice, but it, it could potentially be vital and life-changing for, for people. You know, it's um, speaking from that place is extraordinarily freeing and extraordinarily spacious, as I said before. You know, it's, it's a place of... Um, of uh, openness. Absolutely. In fact, in Judaism, uh, I don't remember how you pronounce the Hebrew, but it, big mind is also called spacious mind or open mind. Cool. Um, that's another term for it. Uh, all right, returning to big mind, as big mind speaking, I'd like to want to ask you something else. Uh, would you say that right now as Big Mind, what would you say Zazen is? I would say Zazen is one way to access me, Big Mind. It's a, a practice and, uh, and it's, 
it's neither vital or, or necessary nor unnecessary. It can be it can be a tool and maybe for the self it's really important because it provides training ground. But uh, I have also seen the self um, have moments of, of bliss and calm and openness, spaci- spaciousness without sitting, you know, when she was a child or when she was, uh, you know, just enjoying a day at the park or something. So, yeah, I see Zazen as one, one way. Right. Also, it's a beautiful expression of you, of big mind. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it's, uh, it's very yeah. solid because of the kind of the triangular shape of the body when when practicing zazen and uh you know it brings a state of yeah a a place of stability or peace to the self right well speaking of the triangle so i'd like now to speak to another voice so i'd like to speak to the apex of the triangle the third point of the triangle and as the apex one has to speak to you you include both the dual and the non-dual, the self and the no-self, okay? Okay. Include and transcend both. Okay. Okay, so you are? I'm the voice, or I'm the self that includes and transcends the self. Um, so, non-self and self. I'm not right. sure the, let's the name. Let's just call you true self. Okay, cool. Let's call it true self. Okay, true, true self. self. True self or... or or unique self. Okay, one. unique self. Okay, so as yeah, as this unique self, this true self, uh, you include all of Gwen's dualistic way of being, her good and bad, all the stuff, all her stuff, mm-hmm. and you also include self, no body, no mind, dropped off. So tell me about you now. Okay, <clears throat> I'm the unique What's self. What's it like being you? So. Um, as the unique self, I have both a place in time and I, I fill up a space in a certain way, like my, uh, this body that I'm in is a container for where I am in the world. And, um, and I'm, I'm more than that as well. I'm kind of the essence that perhaps, um, is, uh, around the body, like that, that untangible thing um and i uh i include both the the negative and positive or the dual and non-dual parts of the self um when you look at one without the other what would you say the dual without the non-dual or even the non-dual without the dual what would you say i would say yeah i'm able to see them both and I would say that the the dual without the non-dual is a very fixed way of looking at, at the world. And I would say that the non-dual without the dual is also in a way a sort of fixed way of looking at the world. So the way that I look at the world, holding both models lightly or um, in balance or in equilibrium is... Uh, a, uh, a much more uh, aware and a much more um, accepting and compassionate uh, place 
from which to uh, move throughout the world. <laughs> it's yeah, funny because my screensaver just came on, and my screensaver is a screensaver of the world. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> That's perfect. Wow. So another name for you actually is the Bodhisattva. Uh, that's another name for you. Big Heart is another name for you. Uh, going through uh, life, uh, including and embracing both aspects, the dual and the non-dual, brings up a lot of compassion and with a lot of uh, awareness. Uh, you also have just you also just described the three yanas. So the Hinayana was the left hand part of the triangle, uh, buddhayana, or the one mind, uh, one heart, uh, is the right-hand side, and then the apex is mahayana. So you just described the three yanas. You've also um, described uh, the three treasures. So the first treasure, dharma treasure, is the left-hand side of the triangle. Buddha treasure, or the absolute, is the right-hand side. And uh, Sangha treasure is the apex of the triangle. And as this Sangha treasure is this apex, how do you respond to situations in Gwen's life, daily life? Hmm. As the Sangha treasure, I, I look to preserve the wa, in a, to use the Japanese term. Um, the wa is preserving harmony and uh, creating community uh, in any situation with one other person or with 10 or 200 other people um, looking to find a, a sense of community, a sense of connection, and a sense of uh, belonging with others. Very good. So... When situations arise as the apex of this triangle, you then act appropriately to the situation, not completely ignoring the dualistic, nor completely ignoring the non-dual, but utilizing both to act appropriately. Yes. Is that correct? That's correct. That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. But this is really how we understand the precepts. Uh, we look at the precepts when we explore the precepts from three different perspectives, Hinayana, Mahayana, and Buddhayana. Uh, and the Mahayana is the way that we actually live it, including both Hinayana and Buddhayana, you see. So we say in Zen, the three yanas are really only one vehicle, one yana. And that's you, because you're just one body as this triangle, and you embrace it all. You can't cut off one knee, let's say, of the triangle and say, this is not important. Uh, or just emphasize one aspect. All three are always present. And in fact, you're always present as the apex. I think when I finished, if I may step into the... Yes. Just go in here. Yesterday when I finished uh, with the book and finished the process... The first thing that I told my friend, actually, who's done The Big Mind with you, I think twice, I said, I just feel so empowered. It's a, a very empowering process, you know, and I think it that perhaps that word has been misused or misinterpreted, but it, it brings you, empowering to me, brings me to, a, 
I felt like I was in a state of equilibrium and a state of balance, where, as you say, those three, those three parts were operating in harmony. So within myself and then in, in relation to the world and then to the degree that I can open my mind to the world, you know, to seeing no separation between myself and the world. Well, you know, what, what, what I'm really appreciating in hearing this is how the book has worked for you because this is the big unknown in writing the book. I, I believe that in person this was all now possible, but the DVDs we've seen it's possible. And now what I've been finding with the book, people are telling me the same thing, that the book is working for them, just like the DVDs are doing it in person, which does my heart good because that's why I wrote the book. Yeah. Well, Gampo, thank you so much for talking with us today. It's just been, it's been a real pleasure. And I'm looking forward to getting well, this. Well, it's been a pleasure to meet, pleasure to meet you, Gwen. Awesome. Uh, and I really, I really appreciate your openness. And uh, really, as a Buddhist, you're very open. Thank you. Okay. Have a great day. All right. Thank you. Bye. 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 -bye. This has been a presentation of BuddhistGeeks.com. Copyright 2007. Music in this podcast provided by C for Chaos. For more great music and writing, visit his blog at www.cforchaos.com. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference. Hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.